This evening I'd like to speak about the river of life, the river of change. When I was in my 20s, I was really inspired by a book by Hermann Hesse, the book Siddhartha. How many of you have read that? Ooh, okay. Uh So I've really forgotten many of the details of that book. The thing that I remember most hearkening back to the time when I read it, what affected me so much was about Siddhartha sitting next to the river and taking in the teachings of the changing river that was going by. I think I paused there for a long time. And perhaps because I love being near water, I uh, had taken in those teachings many times about how things change all the time. You can't put your hand in the river and take out anything that can, be, that can remain the same. It's always changing. When I remember that story, somehow it brings me to that experience again in present term, present time terms. And I realize that fluxing of nature over and over again. I live on an island, as as most of you know. I don't live right next to the water, but I see the water all the time, every day. It's miles away, but I just know by being next to the water how much the water comes in and goes out and comes in and goes out and no wave is the same. So recently I spent a little time hiking. I think I told you in my first talk I decided that uh, last year I had some sabbatical time so I wanted for a long time to walk the Camino de Santiago in Spain. And so I did it. I, I decided I was going to do that and made all the plans. And I did that last year for two weeks. And this year I had some time in Europe, to make a long story short, and I had time again. So I went again and started out a little further away from the, the goal of Santiago de Compostela. So um, it was a a wonderful, uh, rejuvenating time for me. It was deeply rewarding, even though on many levels it was difficult inside and outside to be on that walk. The Camino followed a lot of the natural flowing rivers of Spain. And so as as we both walked along, my partner, my companion, uh, Sister Virinyani, a Buddhist nun. We followed the natural flowing of the rivers, and we every time we had a chance to walk along the riverside, we would. And so there were many bridges over wide and deep rivers, and there were rivers we had to cross by stepping uh, on stones and being very careful to cross the river that way. And sometimes we had to walk through the water And all the time just remembering how much change I've gone through in life and how much change every moment would bring. And just the river was so close to me during that time. Whenever I got tired or I I 
didn't want to walk anymore after a rest period, she would say, uh, look how far you've walked. She would show me on a map or show me by looking out into the horizon and say, look how far you've walked. You can walk some more. So that's how I got through it, just by her prodding me to keep going. One thing that was so beautiful about that walk, I'm not sure that I mentioned it last time, but all along the way we would offer our good wishes to people. We would say, buen camino, buen camino, to all along the way. And people would say that to us. So we must have said and heard that, those good wishes, you know, like metta, giving loving kindness to everyone and receiving it all along the way. So it really held my heart and, and held my feet to, to keep going. I wanted to do that walk because I wanted to get back to the simplicity of life. And um, there's so much, even in the Dharma, where we're rushing around trying to, you know, get this finished and <laughs> we rush around to get our Dharma talk done and then we walk like we're walking on clouds to get in here. But really, you know, to get everything done, it's like boom, boom, boom. So... I often feel like when I take some time off, I really need to get back in sync with nature and just be in nature like you all have a chance to be here now. The concept of time doesn't really exist. I mean, we ring the bells and you know it must be around this time and we always are in tune with the the meals. Uh, (laughs) And Dharma talk time, that's pretty much the only entertainment of the day. Um, and that's beautiful and also it's good when you make your own schedule and you just have a kind of a wide open space to experience a timeless time of being with the passing moment and so when I went on that walk that's what I really wanted to do to be with the passing of this timeless moment and the con- where the concept of time could just get lost. You were just there when you felt like you needed to eat, you could stop somewhere. Of course, we would stop towards dark and have a rest, and we'd wake up with the birds and the light, first light that came. And those were the only concepts of time that we would have. And also remembering, as I, we both walked in silence most of the time, Uh, We didn't have much to talk about. Um, There would just be times of going, say, in a forest next to a river where there could just be the smelling, smelling of all the refined scents that were in that forest, of the leaves that were rotting, and the flowers, the wildflowers that might be around, or the scent of new new fallen rain, or the water we were passing by, taking in that just smelling or just breathing. And that could all, that could be the only thing that's happening in one moment of time. It was so refreshing. And also just the sensations on my body of maybe gentle rain or the warmth of sunshine. And just knowing that just that moment of sensation and maybe having a pleasant feeling about it 
and maybe having some thoughts of remembering other pleasant feelings, but just being with the moment as it went, as it came in, as it did its thing and it went by. There was just the seeing a lot of times, walking through a forest and seeing fluttering of leaves, seeing sunshine come through the branches, dappled sunlight on the ground, just seeing, not getting caught in what was being seen, but just the moment of seeing, coming and going, just hearing, hearing the river, not getting caught in what was being heard, but just being with the hearing, maybe enjoying a moment of a babbling brook or a rushing stream, but not getting lost in that either. And then just knowing, just knowing that moment of hearing, just knowing that moment of seeing, just knowing that the mind was being mindful and having the simplicity of life that you have the opportunity to have here if you take it. And so in these moments there is this constant teaching of impermanence, of how things are coming and doing their thing, depending on conditions, changing, dissolving all the time. The teaching of impermanence always coming into the heart, to the mind. And somehow it's, it's like, you know, a, rain, a gentle rainfall that's giving these teachings all the time. And then there's just a flowing of how it's happening in the heart, in the mind. So listening deeply to the teachings that this Camino, the forests and the rivers of the Camino, the ancient villages that we passed by, were giving the moving waters, the organic materials flowing by, the invisible energy systems in the waters, in the currents above and below the surface that can be heard, can be seen, the forming and bursting of empty bubbles, all of these coming to the mind and heart as teachings, the constant changes in temperature caused by innumerable changing conditions. And so it's just like not having any boundary between oneself and what's inside of you and what's outside of you, but just feeling that this mind and body continuum could also be in the flow of life and really be that change without resisting it. This is what's so beautiful about being in nature, like we are here pretty much. So I could easily open my heart and mind to the naturalness of that flowing river inside the river of thoughts and ideas and likes and dislikes and times of feeling um, sadness and times of feeling grief and times of feeling joy and times of feeling possibility and change that could be um, opening in my life and times of understanding how life changes. And so 
understanding it on a really deep level and coming to accept things that are so hard to accept sometimes. And so the, the teaching of impermanence made its way into my heart in a different way than it did before because it was really my purpose to, my intention to do that walk in, with the intention of really taking in the naturalness of change. The river of life, which is this body and this heart and this mind manifesting, moving along and seeing it in these five sense doors, think that Greg spoke about this morning, hearing, seeing, touching, smelling, um, and the mind door. This is what we're experiencing over and over again. And it's always giving us this message to open up, to see this happening, to not resist. This is how it is. We can't hold on to anything This is another um, poem by David White. He wrote a lot about the Camino, the Santiago, when he walked this Camino. He's a, a very famous poet. He says, The way forward, the way between things, the way already walked before you, the path disappearing and reappearing, even as the ground gave way beneath you, the grief apparent only in the moment of forgetting, then the river, then the mountain, the lifting along song of the skylark, inviting inviting you over the rain-filled pass when your legs had given up. So all these changes on, on this path that you're on, that we're all on together, you know, the sitting and walking schedule and whatever schedule you've made for yourselves. So in recent years, I've been tuning more into the immensity and the infinity of impermanence, not just in this moment, how it rushes by and gives us, you know, the teaching to not hold on anymore. But in this process of a human being that we are, and in this process of being, there's this endless repeating cycle of birth and life and death and rebirth. I mean, some of us really aren't open to this kind of bigger idea, understanding. But you can think of it then in terms of just one life, you know, being born, taking birth into this life, and then going through infancy and childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and into the elder years, and then into the dying process and in death. So this is called samsara. One definition of samsara is perpetually wandering through states of existence, the endless cycle of eternally becoming birth, life's changes, death, and rebirth, again and again and again. So in recent years I've been reflecting on how long has this been flowing and fluctuating on. And uh, just understanding from, 
reading and hearing the Buddhist teaching how this has been going on from time immemorial, hearing teachings about there is no beginning, there is no end to this samsara, the immensity of impermanence, the infinity of impermanence. So how long does this need to happen before we're fed up and we've had enough? You know, I think about that, I ponder on that. Craving for more and more existence. It's endless sometimes. It's just endless. So realizing this has given me an increased sense of spiritual urgency to um, really understand more deeply the causes of suffering and to be able to find a way to let them end, to let them go to turn my life in another direction more clearly. So that's some vega I also spoke about in my talk on faith, the sense of urgency to escape the rounds of wandering through this endless cycle. Manindraji, my first Dhamma teacher, said that this has to be balanced, this kind of samvega, because sometimes there can be like an aversion to life and not an understand it doesn't come from wisdom when we we see this endlessness of samsara but it can come from wisdom and a clarity and a serene confidence that this can happen liberation from samsara from suffering can happen and that allows one to proceed confidently towards the goal of liberation without lapsing into despair. So realizing and reflecting on the infinite rounds of joys and sorrows of life helps me to really um, turn in that direction more. When I was younger, I would hear the teachings of the Buddha and a lot of it didn't make sense to me. And sometimes, like when I would first hear this about this endless round of existence, I would even close my mind to it and say, oh, that sounds terrible. And yet, I would just hold that understanding there in the background. And there were times when my own experience of life met up with the understanding in its own experiential, genuine way. And I would say, yeah, I can live into that now. So if you're hearing this teaching and it sort of doesn't make sense, maybe someday it will. You know, so it's good to just take it in and see how it stays in your mind and heart. And maybe it'll get pulled forward at some time. The Buddha said that there is no discoverable beginning just this changing nature at every level. So I'm going to read some uh, of the words of the Buddha from the suttas to you. And sometimes when I I read the words or I hear the words, it gives me um, a sense of confidence because sometimes I've thought those ways in those ways. And then when I hear the words, I feel confident that there's something that rings true about this because I've connected with the meaning of that already. Or then my mind turns towards 
oh, I can understand that meaning a little more now. So they give us a sense of what is beyond the concept of time that we have, understanding the infinity of this cycle of birth, of life, of death, over and over again. So um, this is from the suttas, when a Brahmin, uh, one of the, the highest caste in the caste system of old India, asked the Buddha, how many eons have elapsed and gone by in terms of wandering in this cycle of samsara? Is it possible to give a simile? This Brahmin asked the Buddha. So before I give the Buddha's answer, I want to explain in Buddhist terms what an eon is. An eon is an immeasurably long time. In the Buddhist cosmology, an eon is uh, like a a kalpa, that's the word for an eon, 4.32 billion years. Okay, so that's one eon. In astronomy, I looked it up, one eon is 100,000 million years. So it's unimaginable. So it's just, to me, it's just a long time. So the Buddha answered this Brahman, and he said, It is possible, Brahman, it is possible. Consider the grains of sand between the point where the river Ganges originates and the point where it enters the great ocean. Now that's a long ways. That's my words. (laughs) The eons that have elapsed and gone by are even more numerous than that. It is not easy to count them and say that they, that they are so many eons or so many hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of eons. For what reason? Because, Brahman, this samsara is without discoverable beginning. It is enough to be liberated from them. On another occasion, while dwelling in Savati, the Blessed One said, Bhikkhus, This samsara is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not discerned of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance, fettered by craving. Whenever you see anyone in misfortune, in misery, whenever you see anyone happy and fortunate, you can conclude, we too have experienced the same thing in this long course. For what reason? Because bhikkhus, this samsara is without discoverable beginning. It is enough to be liberated from them. It is not easy, bhikkhus, to find a being who in this long course has not previously been your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter. For what reason? Because, bhikkhus, this samsara is without discoverable beginning. It is enough to be liberated from them. Hmm. The last one. Bhikkhus, this samsara is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not discerned of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance, fettered by craving. What do you think, Bhikkhus? Which is more, the stream of tears that you have shed as you roamed and wandered on through this long course, weeping and wailing because of being united with the disagreeable and separated from the agreeable, this, which is more, this or the water in the four great oceans? 
And the bhikkhus replied, As we understand the Dhamma taught by the Blessed One, the stream of tears that we have shed as we roamed and wandered through this long course, weeping and wailing because of being united with the disagreeable and separated from the agreeable, this alone is more than the water in the four great oceans. And the the Buddha said, Good, good bhikkhus, it is good that you understand the Dhamma taught by me in this way. So I don't know if that's believable or not, but it's, it's something very uh, infinite to hold. It's so beyond our, our mind's reach sometimes. If you look at the fluctuations of just your life, one life, or somebody that you knew lived, uh, or is living and is uh, maybe a grandfather or an elder, going back and realizing at one time this elder person was born, there were stages of infancy, childhood, teen years, early and later adulthood, aging to elderhood through health and sickness, and now is dying. I, one of my benefactors um, she lived to be almost a hundred. She was just short of a hundred, a few months short of living to a hundred years old. And as I sat with her when she was in her uh, dying times, uh, just sitting with her and seeing her as a child almost would come up. Um, it, there would be a vision of her being much younger. And she had shown me during the lifetime that we had been together in our lives. I I knew her for about 40 years. Um, Just pictures of her as she was a child and what she went through in her life to get to the place where she was at. And just that span of her life struck me. And this too will happen in my own life. And how am I living my life now? So all the happiness and the sorrow and the gain and the loss slips through our fingers like water or poured in our hands from the river of life. And we can't hold on, really, to anything. The river of life keeps flowing through. When I was in my 20s, the end of the river was not something I thought about so much. And so some of you are in you know the younger younger at least younger than some of us i'm in my 60s and there are some of you in your 20s 30s 40s and uh, it just comes upon you all of a sudden you know like how are we living our lives and i really appreciated it when i was much younger and my teachers would say that to me then in those moments i began sitting um and opening to the Dharma in my 20s. And even then, uh, my teacher would say to me, you never know if you ever could have another retreat. So use, use your life, use your time here. It's very precious. And don't waste your time here. And I would really appreciate his reminding me of that. It really made me um, do my practice in a way that was meaningful. So even so, I had a lot of interest um, in, in the Dharma and 
having a sense of urgency in, in my practice to understand and realize more deeply. And now, at this age, you know, what's behind me is a lot more than what's in front of me. And so the, the kind of, when I was younger, I was in this group of Dharma, I like pretty much all of us are here, <laughs> like our hair was on fire with the Dharma. And, um, you know, after a while, you, you learn how to balance out and how to handle your practice with a little more balance. And now it's again in the same way. You know, it's like, really, what am I doing with my life? I really have to pay attention to how I'm living with them and living in harmony with the the precepts and uh, using my life to give and willing to receive more and also practicing wisdom. So I'm keeping the truth of impermanence in the forefront of my mind and my heart each day. So not long ago, a few years ago, I did some personal practice in Lumbini, the birthplace of the Buddha. And usually there's no reading material there. But I brought just a couple of pieces of paper with me to read every day because it was so inspiring to me when I first read it. And um, I'm very inspired by Dilgo Kinsey Rinpoche, a great Tibetan teacher. If I had gone into the Tibetan um, practice or lineage, it would probably be towards him as being my teacher. So I read uh, something that he wrote every single day. It brought together that sense of spiritual urgency to me and the recognition and reminding me of the preciousness of life. So a balance there, you know, not being afraid but being really grateful for this precious life that I could practice in. So I'm going to read to you his words, and I hope the the purity and strength of his words uh, will come through. Ask yourself how many of the billions of inhabitants of this planet have any idea of how rare it is to have been born as a human being. How many of those who understand the rarity of human birth ever think of using that chance to practice the Dharma? How many of those who think of practice actually do? How many of those who start continue? How many of those who continue attain ultimate realization? Indeed, those who attain ultimate realization compared to those who do not are as few as the stars you can see at daybreak. As long as you fail to recognize the true value of human existence, you will just fritter your life away in futile activity and distraction. When life comes all too soon to its inevitable end, you will not have achieved anything worthwhile at all. But once you really see the unique opportunity that human life can bring, you will definitely direct all your energy into reaping its true worth by putting the Dharma into practice. That's in the morning, and then in the evening I would read, Just as every single thing is always moving inexorably close to its ultimate dissolution, 
so also your own life, like a burning butter lamp, will soon be consumed. It would be foolish to think that you can first finish all your work and then retire to spend the later stages of your life practicing the Dharma. Can you be certain you will live that long? Does death not strike the young as well as the old? No matter what you are doing, therefore, remember death and keep your mind focused on the Dharma. So the Pali word for this infinity and immensity of impermanence is anicca. You've been hearing that here and there from one of us. And most of, of not, if not all of you are familiar with that word, but I, I want to go through some of the descriptions of it. The subtleties of it include the moment-to-moment arising, becoming different, becoming otherwise, disappearing, never staying the same, subject to change. And of course we know that on a more global level, on seasons changing, etc. But seeing it here on a moment-to-moment level is a lot of what our practice is directed at. In a bigger way, it's realized as a continual flowing onness of life. Beginningless, endless river, emerging from innumerable conditions, fluxing, changing, moving, evaporating into different forms, turning into rain, humidity, snow, hail, recycling again, coming back to earth as rivers and ponds and um, oceans, and then doing the whole recycling again. So there's a depth we can go into with this teaching from nature. Of course, being in nature gives us delight also. We should take that in and know that moment of delight, the moment of comfort and peace when we're in the forest out there just taking a walk from here to the dining room. Sometimes, for me, I can get so entranced and blinded by the beauty of nature that I can't see more deeply into that. We're here in this place in nature that's giving us a teaching all the time, and we're here at probably the most beautiful time of the year uh, to be in this place. So it's helpful not to let the teachings slide by us, Uh, the teachings of change, that we have the privilege of being here within. We're probably in one of the most favored regions on the planet right now, here at this time, to appreciate the beauty of the change of, of nature being in this autumn season. The first time I remember coming here to teach the three-month course, um, I, I had a weekend off, so I went um, with a friend, and we went uh, traveling around to New England, because I'd never been in New England before, to see the beauty of the change of the, of the seasons here. And every time I would see just one little bit of red, I'd say, oh, that's so wonderful, you know, or orange, or the different yellows and all of the colors coming down. 
And then there would just be a little bit of this and that, and I'd get so excited. And then there we'd come to groves of trees that would be so um, exquisite, and I would just kind of be lost in the beauty of that. And interestingly, somewhere where we were at, it might have been um, in Vermont, far away from here, we picked up a paper, and they were there was some judging of where the most beauty was in all of New England, of where the beauty of the changing leaves were, and they were kind of rating everything. And Barry was where the most beauty of the change was taking place, <laughs> and yet we were going all over New England, you know. So it was interesting, just on that note. So just appreciating that, of course, and what I see when I appreciate how it's all changing in and of itself. There's no, you know, self with a capital S in the background, you know, deeming all this change. It's just conditions. Anicca is anatta. You know, change is selfless. It's, it's happening by itself. And so this was such an interesting perspective to have, that you could see anatta from anicca, so clearly. So we may say it in different ways, but we come to this practice really to understand that in a natural way, so that it it really deepens into wisdom for us. And then we can take that wisdom in and apply it to everything we experience in our lives, perhaps. We see how it's all changing so we don't tend to hold on. And of course there are places we do. And, um, you know, we all have an Achilles heel of where we're most sensitive. And it's hardest there. But for the most part, when we get these changes and they really come into our hearts, it's easy to accept how things are. That, uh, okay, the children go through their ups and downs of life. And we can part with them and we can let them go through their own journey or we can see some of our elders pass away and our hearts aren't so broken maybe and with other things like with things we own maybe it isn't so hard to let go of them and on and on and some things may be more difficult of course we learn that we don't Control, we can't control how things are. You know, conditions come together and fall apart beyond our understanding sometimes, most of the time. In one retreat not too long ago, a yogi gave me this quote. She said it was from Alan Watts, but frankly I looked it up and I couldn't find it was from him. So I don't know who it's from, but... It, reading some of his other quotes, it sounds like him. So, apparently he said, (laughs) from the moment we're born, we're in a free fall. It doesn't help to hold on to everything or anything, which is also falling. (laughs) Do you get it? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, yeah. So, and yet, 
Even after many lessons or lifetimes, even when we think we know better, we still keep looking for what's stable. We still keep looking for something that's always going to be there and that when it goes away, it's really hard. And this is life. You know, this is when we really start opening to dukkha and we understand dukkha in a whole different way. So Anicca can open us to see the selflessness of everything, but it can also open us to see the suffering, especially when there is a kind of holding on, a kind of inability to not see impermanence even in that. So we learn to use our energy to open to how it is rather than to hold on to how we think it should be. Over and over again, we open to places where it's hard to open to, and we learn from those places that are steep learning curves for us. And finally, we reach a point where we begin to see more of life as it really is, and we start living in alignment with it. The Buddha said that this understanding of anicca is one of the most important, highly important understandings that we can have because it does open us to all the other um, truths of life. He said in the Anguttara Nikaya, better a single day of life perceiving how things rise and fall than to live out a century yet not perceive their rise and fall. Because it helps us to live in alignment with life. So this practice that we're doing, this practice of vipassana, is aimed towards this experiential understanding of knowing this not theoretically, but uh, experientially, to actually see or experience the profound ways that it happens in our practice. And that's what vipassana means, actually. It means seeing or understanding in profound ways. The various ways are seeing profoundly what happens in the body-mind continuum, the fluctuating nature of everything, moment to moment. Not so much around us, but within us how a moment of sensation arises and passes away. A moment of thought does that. On and on, all five sense doors and the mind. So the incessant mind-boggling formations, appearing, morphing, dissolving, becoming otherwise, moving, transient, incessantly, this nature is being seen. This is anicca. It's transformative because it brings about the insight into dukkha, the first noble truth. It's said that there is no ultimate or lasting permanent satisfaction in any form, in any situation, in any condition or set of conditions, as a person or anything. This is dukkha. And this is what we learn experientially, firsthand, not from a book. So I had this experience um, that I'm going to tell the story about many years ago. 
when I started on the path, and I was at um, one of the places where we did retreats on Maui, and Manindra first came to give a teaching there, to give a retreat. So I was walking up and down a gravel path doing my walking practice, and there were old um, trees around, old guava trees. They're, They're really, you know, bushes that have turned really large. And uh, so I was walking back and forth. It was a time in my practice where there was a lot of calm in the mind and a, a fair amount of, of non-reactivity. And um, there was not a whole lot of thoughts going back and forth. And I was really just enjoying being in nature, feeling the peacefulness of the mind. And as I, the mind and ice turned to the left, as I was turning around, I saw the fluttering of trees, of leaves. And of course, I'd seen this many, many times. But there was all, at this point, there was kind of a tipping point of how many times this fluttering had been noticed, this change in nature had been noticed. So also there was a, an understanding and a seeing of how the mind was also fluttering in noticing that. So there was a noticing of the outer change and the noticing of the inner change of seeing and the knowing of that seeing. They were both arising, they were both changing, they were both passing away. And it became very scary to me to see that. I'd never seen that moment-to-moment change as intimately, as closely as that. It seems just so mundane in a way, but really sometimes when the mind gets really quiet and sees things deeply like that, that have never been seen before and how it hits the, the heart and mind, it kind of pierces through in a different way. It's a bit shocking. And so I was trembling when I went to see Manindraji and I wanted to really kind of have some security around me. I wanted to have somebody that I could, you know, touch and is, is there and it's not disappearing. These things were kind of disappearing at that moment. The solidity of the world and forms I was living in wasn't so solid anymore. And so apparently this, you know, this was... Um, a good moment in the Dharma. <laughs> and so when I went to Manindraji, he was um, happy. And I thought, you know, he would say, oh, it's okay. But he would say, wonderful, you know, something. That's great that you could see the actuality of impermanence in that way, that moment-to-moment way of seeing things. And from that, there was that understanding, oh, that's why there can't be any lasting satisfaction, which is one of the descriptions of dukkha. Because it doesn't last, you know, the moments don't last. So the initial impact of that experience was um, sort of like a fearful, but then there was a sinking sinking into it, understanding, seeing the fearfulness arise and pass away too. There were a lot of things around that. So 
I remember Manindra saying, impermanent, alas, are all formations. Impermanent, alas, are all formations. And, uh, you know, I was young and I thought, okay. And then as time went on and the practice went on, just really started to see more and to see more and to experience more of that um, an experiential way. And a lot of that this takes more deepening by that experience happening in different ways over and over again. So one characteristic of dukkha, as Anicca opens up to, is, as it said in some of the commentaries, oppression by the incessant origination and dissolution of everything. And so that's, sometimes that's what happens in our practice. We see things come and go, and it's a little bit scary. And uh, if this happens to you, just know it's part of the process. It's part of how things go in the Dharma. So living in alignment with the truth of that brings greater ease in our lives. So now, you know, the mind and heart are more relaxed when things come along. There are times, situations that are harder, of course, but if there weren't this deepening into impermanence, life could be much harder. So, again, from the, the Buddha, at Savati, the Buddha said to the bhikkhus, form is impermanent. The cause and condition for the arising of form is also impermanent. As form has originated from what is impermanent, how could it be permanent? And so he goes on to talk about all the five aggregates, um, first one being form. Feeling is impermanent, perception is impermanent, volitional formations are impermanent, consciousness is impermanent. The cause and condition for the arising of consciousness is also impermanent. As consciousness has originated from what is impermanent, how could it be permanent? So in the text we have these words of the Buddha, this teaching was recorded 159 times in different areas of the Buddha's teachings. So in the normal course of our doing our practice with continuity, this truth of impermanence is sinking in. It's soaking into the wisdom potential of the heart and the mind. We begin to naturally live in alignment with this truth instead of resisting it or insisting that it should be otherwise. We feel an ever-deepening harmony because as it is in the outer world, so it is in the inner world. The ancient ones of our times, of all traditions, of all cultures, the shamans, the wise ones knew of this in terms of the outer world and the inner world. And so too, we can know this in a very deep way, in an ever-deepening way. 
We don't have to think about it theoretically or have internal dialogue with ourselves. It's just experiencing and having the continuity of our practice and really allowing that experience to come into our hearts and minds naturally. I love this um, quote by Carlos Castaneda as he got from his teacher, Don Juan, his uh, shaman teacher. Whenever the internal dialogue stops, the world collapses and the extraordinary facets of our lives, our inner lives surface as though they had been kept heavily guarded by our words. So when we try to describe it, it doesn't do any good. That's why it's so hard for you to come and describe your practice, you know, because you're kind of re-solidifying something that was so ephemeral. So listening to the flow of the river of change over and over through the years of daily life and deepening that understanding in intensive practice like like this, and then bringing it back into our daily life and studying the Dharma, reading, hearing. These all help us to relax more into that truth, accepting it easily. It would be, life would be so much more difficult if we didn't, if, if we didn't accept this truth into our lives and live in alignment with it. From the Sutta Nipata, the Buddha said, let there be nothing behind you. Leave the future to one side and grasp not what remains in the middle. So I'd like to end with this um, beautiful story that Jack Cornfield had, uh, these stories that he compiled from his time in the forest monastery of uh, Achan Cha during the time he was there. And this kind of says it all for, for us. It gives the, both the beauty and the, the wisdom of seeing change. And this is a story called The Leaves Will Always Fall. Every day or two, the open grounds and walkways of the monastery must be swept clear of the leaves that fall in every Asian season. For the large open areas, the monks will team up and with long-handled bamboo brooms extended, sweep like a dust storm, clearing all the leaves in their path. Sweeping is so satisfying. All the while, the forest continues to give its teachings. The leaves fall, the monks sweep, and yet even while the sweeping continues and the near end of the long path is being cleared, the monks can look back to the far end they have already swept and see the new scattering of leaves already starting to cover their work. Our leaves are like the breath, like the growing and falling leaves. Our lives are like the breath, like the growing and falling leaves, says Achancha. When we can really understand about falling leaves, we can sweep the paths every day and have great happiness in our lives on this changing earth. So let's let that sink in 
and dissolve in our hearts. Thank you for your kind attention. Now a little time for walking. <laughs> 